2: You are listening to RotoViz Radio, a fantasy football podcast, with your host, Matthew Friedman.
1: Hey everyone, I'm Matt Friedman, Matt of The Oracle of the Action Network and RotoViz. Welcome to a special edition of RotoViz Radio. Today we are talking about the New England Patriots. In between the NFL combine and the draft, I am interviewing beat reporters for every franchise, 32 teams, 32 beat writers, and 32 episodes. We are covering team needs, free agency, draft rumors, basically everything between now and day one of the draft. For this episode, I'm joined by Mike Giardi of NBC Sports Boston. He's a beat writer for the New England Patriots. In this episode, he talks with us about the team's recent roster moves, the defense's front seven, and quarterback Tom Brady's timeline to retirement. Before we get to the guest... I'd like to remind you that you can get a listener's only 30% discount to a Rotoviz NFL pass through the NFL podcast homepage slash podcast Your subscription gives you unlimited access to all of the premium NFL content on the site and it supports the pod. All right, let's get to the guest. Please welcome to the show Mike Giardi of NBC Sports Boston. You can follow him on Twitter at mike giardi where he provides up-to-the-minute news on everything to do with the new england patriots mike how's it going i'm doing well how are you i'm doing well it's a a busy time of year for you i'm assuming
3: <laughs> for sure for sure a crazy time but it's uh it's always interesting to see how free agency starts and plays out and works its way into the draft so uh you know start forming uh the basis of your of your team for next year which is kind of cool to, to to be around
1: Definitely. Now, one of the uh, the big things that's happened for the Patriots in free agency is that they've traded for, uh, I guess it's not even a free agent move, but happened around this time. They've traded for a uh, defensive tackle, Danny Shelton from the Browns. They sent their 2018 uh, fifth rounder. How do you see Danny Shelton uh, fitting in with the, the front seven and uh, fitting in with the bigger scheme of what the Patriots are looking to do?
3: Yeah, I mean, look, I think last year was the first time in a long time where teams sort of controlled the line of scrimmage against them and were able to run the ball. And I think, uh, you know, you look back to the Super Bowl, the most recent one where Jay Ajayi and Garrett Blunt were having their way and did some big runs and chunk plays. Um, and, and the Patriots never really got what they wanted out of Allen Branch last year. He wasn't the same player as he was two years ago. Uh, they had to lean heavily on Malcolm Brown and Lawrence Guy, probably too much in terms of snap count. And bringing Shelton in gives them that what they feel like is that third body and he's clearly a you know he's a two down player he's a first and second down player um, but he takes up a lot of space he could command that double team and let you know some right now they're inexperienced or maybe slightly below average linebacking crew you know a little bit an easier pathway to the to the football and I think that's that's kind of important as they as they go forward because I don't think they, they want to have that sort of tempo dictated to them again this year. In terms of of, uh, pass
1: rushing, uh, they struggled a little bit at the beginning of the season. Uh, They were much better at generating pressure later in the season. But then in the Super Bowl, uh, once again, they they had trouble with generating pressure uh, and getting to the quarterback. Uh, They are set to have Adrian Claiborne visit. Uh, By the time this is released, it's possible that he already would have visited the team uh, what are your thoughts on, on him, whether they will sign him, and what they're looking to do in general uh, with their edge rushers?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think Claiborne would be a nice piece of the question I have. Is, you know, what's the cost? Again, Trent Murphy, who didn't play at all last year, who they had interest in, you know, he had the knee surgery, he had the PED suspension, he also had his footwork done. He got $7 million, uh per year from Buffalo. Uh, Claiborne has a longer resume, um, better production. Over the course of his career so i would think that he's going to be north of eight million dollars a year and i you know based on their salary cap situation i don't know if they end up going that route you know or maybe claiborne's at a point in his career where he looks at this and says look i think I can get a ring here and i'll maybe take a little bit less um but look it's clear that they need to upgrade their their pass rushing and their ability to get to the quarterback trish flowers is a nice player. Um, I think Trey Flowers is better served rushing the passer from the interior than he is on the edge. Uh, getting someone like Claiborne or someone of that ilk on the outside would would help kick him inside and, and create some some more favorable matchups for him. But I think it's pretty clear they didn't. Again, they didn't like the way, even though they talk about sacks and you know, there was a period where um, you know they had they piled them up late in the in the second half of the season. I still think they felt like that was a little bit fool's gold. And that they, they want to alter the quarterback more. They want to move him off his spot. They couldn't move Nick Foles off his spot. And you saw the results, 41 points, and and uh, an opportunity lost to, to win a Super Bowl.
1: So uh, it's interesting uh, that the, the, the Patriots have done another trade recently uh, with the Browns, uh, getting Devin, uh, not Devin McCourty, uh, getting Jason, <laughs> Jason McCourty, Jason. Uh, Devin's brother, to, uh, to replace the departed uh, Malcolm Butler. How do you think uh, McCordy fits
3: in with the secondary? I think he fits in nicely. Like, there was a lot of talk around here about chasing someone like Tlaib or Richard Sherman. People couldn't understand why, when Sherman got the free agency, that there was no, they didn't even make a phone call. Um, But dollars and cents, they don't have a ton of room under the cap. Um, And, you know, a lot of people said, well, why not wait till McCourty gets released? Well, strictly because he's under contract for for about $3 million this year. And that's just the kind of the perfect uh, equation of a player who's been a good player in this league, who had a nice bounce back season with Cleveland last year, obviously knows uh, very well what it's like to play in new England, even though he's never played in new England because of the Intel he's getting from his brother. Um, he's a, he's a terrific professional uh, at the, at the best he gives you. He, he kicks Eric Rowan inside and he's just starting outside corner uh, at worst. He provides competition for Roe and gives you some, you know, some veteran leadership and, and you know some mentorship for guys like John Jones and Cyrus Jones, who, you know, will be counted on next year to, to be involved in that secondary.
1: You know, I'm looking at the uh, the roster here and specifically the linebacking unit. Uh, you have Hightower returning from injury. Uh, you have Van Noy there. Um, you have Roberts. What are your thoughts on the the
3: linebacking unit? needs to be improved. Uh, you know, obviously they invested a lot of money in Hightower, but the one thing with Hightower and, you know, it's held true again last year is that he he has a hard time staying healthy. His body is pretty beat up at this point and at his age and his career. And I don't think they can look at him as a 16 game and, you know, full playoff participant all the time. So there might need to be some managing that goes on there with him and his shoulder and his knee. Um, I think Roberts is way too much of a hit or miss player, and that they can upgrade there. And Van Noy has proven to be a nice, valuable chip, but I just, I don't again I don't think he needs to be one of those guys that needs to be out on the field. I, I, maybe he gets exposed the longer he's out on the field, and maybe he's not someone you want out there for fifty five, sixty steps, snaps a game. So I think that's another area where you know, it's crazy we sit here because this team went to the Super Bowl and they've been to three Super Bowls in four years, and and we're you know within two minutes of at least having a chance to to win this this past Super Bowl but there are plenty of needs and that's clearly one that I would put pretty high up on the list going to the offensive side of the ball to look
1: at the needs uh, Nate Solder uh, going to the Giants and, and now they're being a, a hole there at, at left tackle that seems like maybe the biggest need uh, of, of all of them what are your thoughts there uh, do they look to address that in free agency or through the draft
3: it would not surprise me if they drafted one. Obviously, they they invested uh, a third round pick in Tony Garcia last year, and uh, you know he missed all of last season with blood clots, and he dropped forty or fifty pounds. And it'll be a little bit of a challenge because I think the idea was it was going to be sort of a nice year to get him uh, integrated into the system, maybe get him some snaps as the you know when they went three three tackles, and maybe use him as a big tight end from time to time just to get him some some playing time and get him some feel for the game. And now you, you basically lost that. So he essentially enters this season as a rookie all over again, and who knows how the health situation manages itself. So I think, yeah, they absolutely were preparing for the potential of solar leaving, but now that Garcia situation played out the way it did, the sort of back, at you know, step one with that entire process. I would look at the draft, although it's not, you know, look, I think by all accounts, there's one tackle that's probably worthy of a first round pick, but there are, there are several others that that might be second rounders and you have some capital there. So I, I would, I would think that that would be a position that they would look at there. I also think there's the possibility that kind of kicking tires on Austin Howard, who, uh, who was the right tackle for the Ravens last year, in addition to maintaining contact with their other two free agents, Cam Fleming, Leder, and and Waddle. I think there's a possibility that they could move Marcus Cannon from right tackle to left tackle. Uh, it's something that he did in the past. And obviously, uh, Belichick made a point of talking about that quite a bit when he was their swing tackle for a couple of years and he, he at times started at left tackle and that's something that I think can't be ruled out because of, of the money, the cap situation and uh, you know it's, I'm, I'm always a little bit leery because two years ago you got Cannon to play at a Pro Bowl level uh, second team all pro um, he was terrific, he was their best offensive lineman so you kind of loathe to move that guy with the idea that maybe instead of fixing a problem you create another one but Left tackle, we know how critical it is, and uh, I think they probably pr- would prefer to keep Marcus where he is. But I don't think if if that if they feel like he's their best option when all said and done, I think they'll go that route.
1: I mean, the the uh, the plus side of all this is that at least Cannon uh, in a college was a long time ago for him, but at least in college he did play some left tackle. He does have some experience there, so that is always an option. Uh, continuing to to look at the offensive side of the ball, um, the Patriots have lost uh, Dion Lewis, uh, but they have re-signed Rex Burkhead. Uh, how do you think they're going to address the running back uh, situation that they have there? They're also looking, uh, potentially, uh, at a visit with Jeremy Hill. Uh, Mike Gillisley is there. What are your thoughts on the running back group?
3: Yeah, I think they're definitely looking to add another, another player into that mix. I think they kind of, uh, they like the depth that they had the position this past year. Obviously Gillisley got the start and was the initial, guy. And then Dion Lewis came on and uh, Burkhead deals with injuries. They brought Rex back, but, but, you know, he's never, never been a full season guy. So uh, I think they definitely need to add a body there. I think we perhaps, uh, you know, they've gone in different directions. Hill's a big back. Danny Woodhead was in, he's a, he's a shifty back. I think they're just probably looking for um, a, a piece that is not going to be too expensive that they can kind of add to that next ad competition and look, I mean, Woodhead would bring some value. Hill's obviously a power back, so I don't think they're married to one style there. I just think they feel like they need one more guy in that in that spot. And maybe even though the draft is pretty deep at running back, maybe they look at it and say, "Look, we we what we do here, what we have for pieces on offense, we don't necessarily need to go out and waste a, a higher pick on a running back. We we can we can make do with what we have, and and maybe another you know, free agent added." All right. So looking a little bit at the draft. Uh, the
1: Patriots have the 31st pick, so second to last pick in the first round. Uh, some mock drafts have them taking a cornerback. Some have them taking a defensive tackle. Uh, what do you think, big picture? The Patriots might be looking to do with that pick?
3: To me, it's it's defense in that left tackle position. You know, where what do they feel like uh, bringing Dante Scarnecchia back? Their offensive line coach is huge um, because I feel like with his ability to mold uh, young offensive linemen that if there's someone they really like at, at left tackle in the draft, that that's something that they can address. And that, that Dante is uh, talented enough to get him up to up to speed and get him on the field. But obviously they look at their front seven and they say, we, we need help there. We have to find a better way to, to create havoc from the passer. Uh, Derek Rivers will be coming back. He missed all of last year. You know, he was their first pick, although it wasn't until the third round, at a Youngstown State. He's an edge guy. Um, but you don't know what you have there because, again, you didn't really get a chance to see it. He got hurt. In the joint practices with the Texans down in uh, West Virginia. So, uh, you know, you bring him back add another body on the edge, maybe add someone at the linebacker level. I think all those positions are sort of open to that pick at at 31. You know, who's the best available player at a position that we need and I think that's the route they go. I don't think they're going to say we definitely have to have an edge guy. I think they're going to look at it and say, who's the best player there and what's the best bang for our buck there and how can we improve either that front seven or that left tackle spot.
1: So the Patriots uh, have lost Any Amendola who signed with the Dolphins. Uh, but if you look at returning Julian Edelman, Malcolm Mitchell returning, uh, they definitely still have some depth at the position. How do you see the wide receiver unit shaking out?
3: Yeah, I, I, you know, I don't think it's, I know some people were kind of clamoring for potentially making a move and getting uh, a Jordy Nelson. Uh, I've heard some other names kicked around. I, to me it's not that much of a need they're getting a little bit older there maybe they look for someone in the middle rounds that, that maybe can contribute uh Malcolm Mitchell a lot hinges on that need because he's someone they obviously have a lot of confidence in his ability and when given the opportunity last year uh two years ago he did a terrific job for them um but same thing you know health is an issue there and you gotta you gotta manage his his situation so um yeah, I don't. I don't know that there that there's a primary need there, but I think they got to start thinking about down the road how they want to handle that um, because again, guys are starting to creep up there in age, and and that's uh, pretty important when you got Tom
1: Brady as your quarterback. Well, uh, talking about starting to creep up in age, and Tom Brady as your quarterback. Uh, he's obviously starting to get older. I mean, starting to get older. I mean, he he's old, but he just continues <laughs> yes. to, to age gracefully. Uh, but at some point it seems as if there, uh, there would be the desire for a secession plan in place, um, which obviously that used to be Jimmy Garoppolo, but that's no longer the case at the backup position. You have Brian Hoyer there now, um, one, what do you think the timeline realistically is for Tom Brady? And then two, do you think the Patriots are looking to get a young backup quarterback in this draft class, someone they can develop in the same way they did with Garoppolo?
3: Yeah I mean for the former look he insisted that he's playing the 45 and I still believe him even though you know if you watch Tom versus time there that Facebook series that he did he wavered a little bit you know I think part of that may have to do with just the way the season ended and you know the the emotion that goes into it and then losing the the game that you work all year long to get in that 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 leaves a mark um but I think he's been pretty steadfast that he wants to play that long and i'm still going to take him at his word that that's what he wants to do so i think he's still outbound on that now whether he can do it or not obviously he's shown no signs of decline um but that doesn't mean you know we're we're in uncharted territory you never know when that that quote unquote cliff is going to come um and i think that's why the patriots have to operate almost as if they're year to year with him um you know they signed hoyer to the three-year extension uh, so they give themselves a little flexibility if they don't like any quarterback in this draft or any quarterback where they're picking and where they feel like it's the right time to pick one. Um, but I, I'm sure that they're – they are I mean, I know they've, they've looked at guys. They've they have had conversations with plenty of the guys that are coming out. It's just whether or not they feel like there's a guy there that's worth the draft capital and making that move. Um, I'm not opposed to them drafting a quarterback every year from now until the, the moment he walks out the door because, you know, I think you just keep throwing darts at that position – hoping that you find – you hit that one, you find that gem. I mean, Garoppolo was obviously a higher pick than Brady was, but, you know, in the 60s. So it's not like you have to draft one of them at the top of the draft. You just find a guy that you feel like you can coach and has the uh, the the, the skill set that you want for the offense that you're running and then hope that when you get him here, you can coach him up and get him to the point where um, he makes a difference for you.
1: It's an intriguing quarterback class. There's uh, a lot of talent, uh, you know, in, in terms of guys who might go in the first round. But th- there's also some depth in the class. Are there any quarterbacks uh, that you think, like you've sort of looked at and say, like, you know what? I could see that guy being someone who kind of fits the Patriot mold?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think it's everybody's sort of been on this Kyle Laletta out of Richmond, that there are a lot of um, traits that would fit the offense. He's got that really quick release. Um, he comes from a little bit of a smaller school, but he's he, he sh- he shined in the senior bowl. And, and uh, people really like his personality and his leadership qualities. And I think these are all kind of things that, that sort of went into the decision to pick Garoppolo a few years back. Um, you know, but it, it matters when you get here, too, because playing as Tom Brady's backup, or in this case, you might even be the third guy. That's not easy to do. You got to be able to take. You're not going to get a ton of reps once camp ends. You got to be able to be real good at the mental reps and be able to stand behind a guy like Brady or Hoyer, and process the information that they're processing and and make it count on the on the on the few reps that you do get once the season starts. So, yeah, he's a guy. He's definitely a guy that I think they they have their eyeballs on. But I think there's there's three or four guys in that in that class that could be, you know, in consideration uh in that in that second day you know in the second or third round all right mike this has been a lot of fun one
1: final question here uh there have been some rumblings that rob gronkowski is you know pseudo legitimately considering retiring he is 28 tom brady
3: is 40 which
1: one of these guys do you think retires first (laughs) that's a
3: great one uh i would say gronkowski i just think the, the the i know it's crazy but i just think tom stated desire to play to 45 and rob's you know, Rob's had a lot of surgeries and obviously he's had the back surgeries and that's, you know, dating back to college. And I think that's his body is beat up and it doesn't necessarily show on the field. He had a terrific season this year. Um, but I think he can see that the end is, is closer than probably anybody would like to, uh, to believe. Yeah. Uh,
1: I, I can see that too. If, if I had to you know place a bet on it, I think I actually might go that direction. Uh, Mike, this has been a lot of fun. Thanks for talking with us, and we hope to get the chance to talk with you again as we get closer to the season.
3: Absolutely. Look forward to it.
1: We just finished speaking with Mike Giardi, a Patriots beat writer for NBC Sports Boston. We covered a lot. Here are some thoughts I have on the discussion. Uh, one, I think it's interesting that Belichick is trading with the Browns. Uh, One of the things that you heard last year was that potentially Belichick didn't trade Jimmy Garoppolo to the Browns because he hates the Browns because he used to work there, and then that didn't end well. Um, That might be possible. I I think it probably is true that Belichick isn't overly fond of uh, the, the Cleveland sports environment, but I think people actually should remember that it was a very different Team and situation, literally a different team, in that he was the last coach of the Cleveland Browns before they moved and became the Baltimore Ravens, and he was under the impression that he was going to be making the move with them. Uh, so, really, the the organization that screwed him over, uh, or that he might think screwed him over years ago, is literally like a a different it's a, it's a different organization than the one that uh, was basically created anew uh, in Cleveland to replace the departed Browns future Ravens. Um, so I don't know if there really is anything to the idea of Belichick not wanting to do any business with the Browns. Um, especially given that now he has done business with the Browns twice trading for, uh, Danny Shelton and then Jason McCordy. I think, uh, one thing that's interesting is that the, the Browns have been active, uh, potentially they've been too active, uh, Maybe they gave away too much for Tyrod Taylor. I think if we see Belichick doing business repeatedly with a team, it might indicate uh, sort of like a situation like at a, a poker table where there's there's like one bad player and everyone is exploiting that player. That might be honestly uh, a little bit of what's happening with the Browns. Uh, they've been very active and, and Belichick has, has gotten in on it. Uh, and I think Belichick has gotten the better side of these two trades, just starting with Jason McCordy. Uh, I think a, f- a fantastic addition to the team, a veteran corner, um, a, a top 30 coverage corner last year by pro football Focus's ratings. Um, and as Mike mentioned in the, uh, in the conversation, someone, because his brother has been with the team for so long, someone who has an idea of what is required of people who are a part of the franchise. Uh, I think he will fit in pretty well there, opposite Stefan Gilmore, uh, and then Danny Shelton. I think that is a really intriguing trade. Um, a guy who, you know, just three years ago had great draft value. And I, I know you can't always judge guys based on where they were drafted, but, uh, it is a, a fairly strong Bayesian prior. And, uh, I don't know if you can look at what Shelton did in Cleveland and say that, um, His underperformance to this point is strictly the result of his efforts and his ability. Maybe he was being used improperly in a scheme. Maybe if you put him in a new place uh, with a winning environment and people who can use him uh, in a better manner, he could do well. One thing that's interesting is that on on mock draftable, uh, the player to whom he is most comparable is Ron Brace, uh, who was a 2009 Patriots second round pick. Um, ironically, brace ended up, maybe it's not ironically brace ended up not having a, uh, a great career. He was out of the league after four years. Um, but at least like Shelton fits a, a, a prototype of someone, the Patriots seem to be interested in. And maybe this time they can, they can get it right. Um, and they need help. Uh, Shelton, he is a big run stopper. Um, that's primarily what he can be used for and the Patriots need help in that arena. Uh, specifically they were 31st in the league, dead last in the league, uh, with 4.7 yards allowed per attempt, uh, in terms of what they were allowing opponents to do to them. Um, and then on a per drive basis, uh, they were allowing, um, the third most plays in the league against them and, uh, the second most yards against them. Uh, so they really do need help on the defensive side of the ball specifically in the running game. Um, and so he is someone, there's very little downside to, uh, to acquiring him. He is someone who does have the potential to help them there. And if it doesn't work out, all they really gave up, I believe was a fifth round pick, which is, I mean, that's, that's nothing. Um, so a, a smart trade and, uh, kind of transitioning from talking about Shelton to the rest of the front seven. Um, it's a group that really is weak at linebacker. Uh, and especially when, uh, high tower is out when high tower is in, uh, he is able to To serve in a variety of ways, he's a good run stopper, but he can rush uh, the passer a little bit. He he covers up a lot for that unit. Uh, When he was out, the unit was greatly exposed. Um, So if he's healthy, then that's one thing. If he's not, then they really are going to need to look uh, at bringing in uh, someone through the draft, maybe through free agency. But it's not a great it's not a great free agent class to have someone who can serve that role within the Patriots defense. But potentially there are some linebackers uh, that they could get. I don't know if one of them will fall to them at 31. Um, But if one of those guys does fall to them uh, and, you know, people, you you know who those are Uh, Roquan Smith, um, Rashawn Evans uh, and uh, Tremaine Edmonds, Um, you know, if any of those guys, Uh, maybe Leighton uh, Vander Esch from BYU, uh, although probably not. But if one of those guys falls to them at 31, I think that could be the pick. Um, But they do need help at linebacker. Given now that they have uh, Shelton to pair with Malcolm Brown, I don't think actually that they're quite as weak up the middle as people might think. Um, obviously depth is good. Uh, so if they can get more depth there, fantastic. But I think that pairing will actually be pretty good in the interior. And then Trey flowers, he did progress in his third season. Uh, he was 14th as an edge defender, uh, in pro football Focus's ratings. And then Derek rivers is someone I think to keep an eye on. Um, he was the, you know, the first guy drafted by the Patriots drafted in the third round last year. Um, a guy who missed the entire season because he was injured, but a really athletic player. Uh, He was one of Justice Mosquita's force players. So an athletic guy with a lot of upside uh, went to a small school, um, but entirely dominated that level of competition. Uh, Obviously the team could still use some help. Um, The the teams that seem to do well are the ones who have multiple pass rushers. Uh, Just look at The Eagles, and they've added the Eagles have added too, but look at the Eagles they've um, you know they have a unit where they can just rotate guys in and out. They have multiple pass rushers from all over the defensive line who are fresh. Uh, so obviously, if the Patriots can build that depth, that would be good. But uh, if Derek Rivers is able to, uh, I guess, show the promise that he had as a prospect, and we haven't seen anything of him yet, but if he's able to, to be decent. Uh, that unit actually could be pretty, uh, pretty good. Um, but really, I think a lot of it comes down to Tom Brady uh, when he's there and he's upright. So left tackle is important. Um, but you know, when Brady's there, he covers a lot of the weaknesses for the team. Um, last year, it wasn't you know uh, top to bottom. It wasn't a highly talented roster. It's just that. They have players who work well in a system and Brady can cover a lot of the weaknesses on the team. Uh, The question is just how long is Brady going to be there, right? What is his timeline to retirement? Um, At some point he's going to retire and they are going to need, if they hope to, uh, to keep this string of dominance going, they're going to need someone to step in. Uh, It really is too bad for the team that they couldn't make it work with Garoppolo. Um, You know, but who would expect that Brady really would have lasted, you know, to his age 40 season. So, you know, good for him. Just kind of an unfortunate situation for the team. Uh, Garoppolo was one of a kind. He was uh, a four-year starter. He was player of the year in FCS. He was accurate, highly productive. He was smart. And here's one thing about Garoppolo, Um, and I guess about small school players in general. Uh, they tend to be underdrafted relative to their talent in their future production. So, uh, and this is especially true, uh, you know, for skill position players, but really it's, it's true all over the board. I just, let me rephrase that. Uh, I have, I have studied it most in skill position players. I think it's harder to study uh, with like offensive linemen and defensive players because the statistics aren't quite as significant as they are for skill position players. But if you look at running backs, uh, if guys are otherwise equal, a small school guy will be drafted uh, maybe in the third round, where the player who is comparable to him, who you know came from a power five program, will go in the second round. Um, that's just kind of what happens. Um, correlated with that, you will see that two guys who are of the same draft position, one who went to a small school, one who went to a big school, the small school guy will normally outperform the big school guy with the same draft position um, or comparable draft position. So two guys in the second round, for instance. Uh, And the reason why is because there's a discount. There's a small school discount. And what that means, basically looking at this you know, at Garoppolo, he was someone who should have been a first rounder. Uh, but he went to a small school and people weren't really sure how that production would translate. He also played in a spread system. People, you know, they weren't sure how that would translate. Um, and so he was, you know, he was docked. The Patriots got extremely lucky in that they were able to draft him at the very bottom of the second round. um, I don't think that they can get lucky like that again. So people have talked about uh, Kyle Lalletta, a small school guy. So, you know, they might be able to acquire him uh, at a discount, right? But that doesn't mean that he's going to be Garoppolo-esque, right? He might be the guy that they bring in, but he's just not the caliber of Garoppolo. Um, Just in terms of the statistics that he put up, um, he's just, he's not Garoppolo. I have a quarterback model and I should say quarterbacks are hard to hard to model, um, just based on the statistics that we have available. Um, as we get more data, I'm sure quarterback models will become more accurate, but with quarterbacks, so much depends on where they land and the supporting cast. That's just, it's kind of hard to model them. But in the 2014 draft, my model had Garoppolo as the number one quarterback in the class. And that was, that was before the draft. Uh, Just to recap, that class had Bortles, Manziel, Bridgewater, and Carr. Uh, All four of those guys were chosen before Garoppolo. All of them were chosen in the first round or at the top of the second round. Uh, Carr was selected, I think, within the first four or five picks of the second round. Um, You know, Garoppolo was chosen, again, at the bottom of the second round. Uh, Far less draft capital invested in him than those other guys. Um, But he's clearly... Outperformed them. Um, he clearly has more value moving forward than all of those other quarterbacks do. Uh, the Patriots just got lucky with Garoppolo, right? Uh I don't think they're going to be able to get lucky like that again unless, and this is the big thing, unless one of the five top quarterbacks falls to them at pick 31. And, you know, it's it's possible. Rodgers was one of the top two quarterbacks of his year. Some people thought he might be in the running for the first overall pick, and he fell to the 24th pick. Uh, You know, With five quarterbacks, even though there there are teams who need quarterbacks, with five quarterbacks, one of them really could be available at the 31st pick. I bet it would be Lamar Jackson if one of them is available. And then the question is, are the Patriots willing to spend a first-round pick on Lamar Jackson who really, in, in any other year, could be in the running for the number one pick. Um, he is Vic-esque, and Vic did go number one. uh It's just I think a strong year for quarterbacks at the top of the class. So would they be willing to take a player who has number one overall upside at the thirty-first pick, knowing that he's probably going to have to sit on the the bench for you know, I don't know four years, three years maybe? Who knows? With with Brady. Um, so I think for them, that is going to be the big question. Uh, what they do with that number, uh, with that first round pick, are they are they looking to uh, address the defensive side of the ball? I imagine they would be. Uh, but if a quarterback falls to them, do they look for the value, try to develop a guy once again behind Brady and hope that this time it works out? Uh, maybe. However it plays out, uh, I think it's going to be pretty interesting. But that's going to do it for this patriots focused special edition of road of radio be sure to check out the episodes for all the other teams on road of in the podcast feed i'm matt friedman matt at the oracle thanks for tuning in thank you for listening to this special edition of road of radio the flagship road of podcast special thanks to hassan rahim the producer for this episode and to colin kelly the assistant executive producer for the podcast channel Please review the show on iTunes under the Road of Radio feed. Contact us via email, roadofhisradio gmail.com. We'd love to hear what you think. And follow us on Twitter at Road Radio. And remember, you can always support the show by subscribing to Road at a 30% discount through the NFL podcast homepage, roadofhis.com slash podcast.
2: Technology Truths, brought to you by GEICO. Technology Truths. Truth. Teenagers can communicate entirely in emojis.
4: How was the birthday party? Mm. Pizza slice, kitten, soccer ball, pineapple? Truth.
2: It's so easy to switch and save on car insurance at GEICO.com.
4: What are you talking about? Mm. Paperclip, shoulder shrug, high five, wizard hat?
2: What? GEICO.
0: 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. The headlines remind
4: us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better.